Alright, we are actually going to finish up this part of our Bible study today. Uh, we are in a series called Bodybuilding God's Way. And basically what we're doing is we're talking about spiritual disciplines and spiritual maturity. Uh, we have identified five basic types of spiritual bodybuilding equipment, so to speak, that God uses in each of our lives to help us grow and mature spiritually. So let's see if we can identify those. What is the one we're talking about today? The Bible. Very good. What is another one? Prayer. Um, church. I'll add fellowship and church go together. Now the other two are the two that are harder, a little harder to remember. Things that God uses in our life to help us grow and mature. Past experiences and one more thing. Starts with a P. People. The people in our life. The good ones, the bad ones, the indifferent ones, you know. Um, so those are the five things. And what we're doing in our series is we're looking at all five of those things and we're answering three questions. Number one, what can this do for me? Spiritually, what does the Bible do to help me grow? Number two, how do I use it? If I go into a gym and I'm, I'm introduced to a new piece of bodybuilding equipment, the first thing I want to know is well, what's this going to do for me? Now how do I use it? And then the third thing is, what kind of results can I expect if I use this piece of equipment the right way? Well, that's where we are today in our study of the Bible. We've already talked about what it can do for us. And 2 Timothy 3.16 was the scripture that taught us that. Uh, it teaches us, helps us to understand biblical principle. It rebukes us or basically points out where in our life we're not doing it right. It corrects us. It helps us know how to fix it and make it right again. It trains us, which basically means it applies discipline and principles that basically say, when I know the Word of God, God tells me, Bill, I'm allowing this form of discipline in your life because I'm trying to teach you this principle. And they go hand in hand. That's what the phrase training in righteousness is referring to. And then it tells us why it does all that. So we can be completely prepared or furnished for every good work, or literally, to be able to handle anything that comes in my life. Now, we also saw last week how we use it. It's the primary weapon we use against Satan and temptation. Ephesians six seventeen, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. But how do we effectively use that sword? Well, you've got to do several things. Number one, you've got to read it. I mean, it's, it's like going to school. We didn't learn history by sleeping on our history book and allowing it to seep into our minds through osmosis. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Okay? We have to read it. Number two, we've got to meditate on it. That means we, remember what we talk, talked about? Remember what I said meditate meant? We talk to ourselves. Literally, the word means we talk to ourselves. We think about it. So we don't just read it. We actually meditate on it. We think about it. Then the third thing we do is we memorize it. My word have I hid in my heart, so I might not sin against you. Unless I physically carry this book around with me all the time, I'm not going to have the Scriptures available to me during the day when I need it. Unless I put it somewhere else besides in this book, which is in my mind. Then I can go in here, because I, hopefully, carry this with me everywhere I go. So I can use this as the Holy Spirit brings it back to my memory, to help me function and fight off temptation. So I memorize it. Then the next thing we do is we've got to measure everything in our life by it. 
What we're striving for in spiritual bodybuilding is that the day will come in my life spiritually where every time a situation comes in my life, the first knee-jerk reaction is, what does the Bible say I ought to do? Right now, in most of our lives, including mine, that's not every time the knee-jerk reaction. Sometimes it is, well, what's best for me? What am I going to benefit from this? What's in it for me? That's the normal reaction. So to change that reaction, I have to bodybuild. I've got to train myself, okay? And then the last thing we do as we use the Bible in our life is we apply it and obey it. doesn't do any good if I read it, meditate on it, memorize it, measure everything by it, and then say, well, here's what the Bible says. Too bad. I'm going to do what I want to do. If I don't apply it and obey it, it doesn't change anything. Okay? So that's how we use it. We studied that last week. Now today, we're going to talk about six things that are the results we can expect. If I use the Bible properly, here's what will happen in my life. So let's look at these six things real fast, and then we're going to go to our breakout groups. Number one, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Which means God intended for me to use it as a tool. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So the man of God can be thoroughly equipped or completely furnished, prepared for every good work. So what will happen, what kind of results will I get if I use the Bible properly? Well, number one, I will be completely prepared to handle any situation that comes in my life. Now, I know that sounds kind of generic. So let me give you some examples that will make it practical. First of all, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says if we live by the Spirit, we will not give in to or live by the desires of the sinful nature. Now, in a nutshell, here's what Paul says there. There's only two ways to live our life. There's two schools of philosophy that we can live our life by. School of philosophy number one, Bill Crockett's philosophy. The simple desire philosophy. My flesh. God, don't be messing with me. Here's what I want to do. If it feels good, do it. If I like it, I'm going to do it. Don't really care what you think. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's all about me. Dog eat dog. Climb the corporate ladder. It's me. Get out of my way or I'll run over you. That philosophy. That, by the way, is the common philosophy of the world. It's called humanism. Who is the God of this world? Satan is. So he is the one who developed the philosophy and is propagating it. Why? Because that's what he's like. That's exactly how he lived. The Bible says that he went to God. He said, I will exalt myself above the Most High. I will be like God. I, I, I. It's all about me. Okay? So that's one way to live our life. Then there's another school of philosophy, and that's God's school of philosophy. If we live by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. Galatians 5.16. If I live the way God says to live, I won't end up living the other way. My own way. Now here's the problem. When I was born, which school of philosophy was I most familiar with and which school of philosophy was I best at and the one that I knew the most? Unfortunately, Bill's school of philosophy. So what does that mean about God's school of philosophy? i got to learn it because I know nothing about it. Nothing. 
One of the things that I have learned in homeschooling our children, especially since they are in the 7th, 8th, ninth grade arena, is that they are taking algebra. Um, thankfully, Miss Jessica is helping us with some of that, our resident math teacher, or one of them. And uh, I, I, I had um, glowing memories of my junior high days in pre-algebra, algebra, geometry, and all those other courses, but I only passed because I sat next to a smart girl in my class. I know nothing about math. Some of you, your math gurus, you love math. All those nomials and formulas and poly this and poly that, you love all that stuff and you understand it. It's all Greek to me. I don't have a clue what that stuff means. My son started taking algebra. I had to help him. I started reading what they were asking for. Much less all those pi squared times parentheses n squared plus p squared plus 4 to the third power plus x, y, z. And that's when my brain just kind of blew a gasket and I said, call Jessica. <laughs> it's a whole system of philosophy and thought and ideas and principles and formulas that I didn't understand. Christianity and living the way God wants us to live is the same way. And we weren't born naturally understanding it. So we have to learn it. And the way we learn it is from this book. So what will happen to me if I use the Bible right in my life? First of all, I'm going to begin to learn God's philosophy of how to live. And I'll be prepared to handle what comes in my life based upon God's philosophy of life. Okay? Let's move on. Number two. What's another thing that's going to happen to me? My faith will be strengthened. Now, how many of you, as you've been in church, you hear terminology and you hear phrases and you hear little colloquial statements that sound real spiritual and religious but when you really start thinking about them, you don't really understand what that means. For example, you need to strengthen your faith. Okay? What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, how, how do you do that? You remember what the disciples said one time? Jesus talked to them about a grain of mustard seed and, and how it could, if you have faith that's just that small, it can move a mountain. And Peter, as he often did, and was kind of the spokesman for the apostles, along with the other apostles, would say, Lord, we do believe, but help our unbelief. We, we do believe to a certain point, and then we get to a, a certain level of our life, and we really struggle to believe. We can believe the little things, but when it comes to the bigger things, that's when my faith really starts struggling. That's not unlike bodybuilding. When I first started working out, one of the things that I loved to do, my favorite exercise was a bench press. And there, I'd always have a partner. And one of the things that we would, your partner would do is he would encourage you to go beyond what you thought you were capable of doing. And I can remember those days when we would be at the end of the bench press. We used a pyramid workout. And, and I would have a, maybe 225 pounds on the bar. I, I would get it about right here. And those of you that do this, you know there's a point at which it kind of sticks. It doesn't mean that you can't go any further. It just means that's where it really gets hard. And you've got to go beyond what you're used to doing. And that's when your partner begins to scream at you, Get it up! Get it up! When 
when I was in college, I was a running back, and the running backs used to work out with a defensive lineman. We had a defensive lineman who was an All-American named Noel. Noel was about a six foot four, 290 to 300-pound nose guard that had arms bigger than my legs. He warmed up with 300 pounds on a bench press. He bench pressed almost 600 pounds. The guy was a monster. I remember a day I was in the weight room, and I'm lifting 225 pounds. And I got to that sticking point. 225. Noel could lift 225 pounds with one hand. I get to that sticking point, and I'm laying on the bench, and I'm doing this. And Noel walks over because he noticed I was struggling a bit. He walks over, and here's this great, big, huge, sweaty guy. And he leans over me like this, sweat dripping in my face. And he said, Bill, get it up! I went, <laughs> Now, 30 seconds prior to that, I was right here thinking, I'm never going to do this. All it took was a huge, sweaty guy to yell at me, and it went straight up. Now, at that sticking point, I had two choices. I can't do this. Somebody take it. I'm going to quit. Or somebody says, you can do this. Keep going till you win. You know what happened? After a while, I warmed up with 225 pounds ten times doing this. You know how I got to that? It had to start with the day that I got stuck. And a friend said, you can do this. That's exactly what you need. And every time you and I trust a principle of God's Word and allow God to say, like Noel, you can do this. Trust me. And you see God help you do it. You know what happens? Your worry meter comes down a little bit. And then you do it again and you trust what God said. And He does it. And the worry meter comes down a little more. Now, the worry meter never goes away. We're always going to worry. I'm a worry wart. It's a good thing when you worry, real warts don't come up. I'd look like a warthog. I worry all the time. And I, I just ask my wife. I am a worry wart. I worry about everything. However, there are a lot of things I don't worry much about today because over my life, I've seen God take care of those things over and over and over and over again. And so I don't worry much about those anymore. I just know He's going to do it. But I know he's going to do it because I spiritually body built myself by trusting him and seeing him do it over time. That's what using the Bible and trusting God will do. That is what it means for your faith to be strengthened. I trust God. I watch him prove himself. He helps me and he continually does it over and over so that my worry meter goes down a little. That's Strengthening your faith. Number three, the next thing using the Bible properly will do, it will help us overcome temptation better. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, the Bible talks about yielding. The King James Version uses the term yielding. The NIV says that we offer ourselves as slaves to be obedient to one or the other of these masters. Disobedience, which leads to sin, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, here's the practical explanation of that. 
The little devil on one shoulder and the little angel on the other shoulder. The little devil is Bill and his philosophy of life. My flesh. The little angel on the other shoulder is the Holy Spirit who came to live inside of me the day I got saved. And here's what happens. Every day of my life, sometimes hundreds of times during the day, my flesh says, Bill, why don't you do this? Why don't you think this? Why don't you say this? Why don't you have this kind of attitude? And every one of those things is wrong. Because it's by Bill's philosophy of life. My flesh. At the same time, on the other side, based upon what he's got to work with, which is what I've done with this, and how much of this book I know, the Holy Spirit begins to say, Bill, I know you're saying you ought to do this, but you know what the Bible says? And if you do that, the Bible says you're not going to be doing right. But it's okay. But it's not right. And that little battle goes on every day in our life. Romans 6.16 talks about the process by which I give in to one of them. Who do I give in to? It's the yielding process. That's why the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart so that I will not sin. I will not give in to my flesh. I will give in to what is right based upon what the Bible says. Let me give you a perfect example of that. All of us have a brain. Some of you use yours a lot better than others of us, but we all got one. That brain is running all the time. You know your brain never goes to sleep? You know that? Even when you're sleeping, your brain is not asleep. Our brains always run. It's like a hard drive in a computer. It never gets turned off. And it gets fed information all the time. All of us have the capability of getting viruses in that hard drive that will cause all kinds of crazy things to pop up on the screen of our mind. Many of those things, like things that pop up on your computer screen created by a virus, are not pleasant. They're not good. They don't help my performance in what I'm trying to do with my computer. Likewise, those things that our brain pops up on the screen of our mind and our life sometimes are not helpful for my life. They don't help me accomplish what I'm supposed to do. So what do I do when those things pop up on the screen of my brain? i got to get rid of them. What is my virus protection? It's the Word of God. It's the Maccabee version A virus protection. It's called the Bible. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says this. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think about these things. So what happens when my brain, because of a sinful virus that has hit it, Pop something up in my mind that is trying to get me to think about that's not right. I'll tell you what I do. I quote that verse in my mind. You know this? Two thoughts cannot occupy your conscious mind at the same time. Did you know that? Try talking to somebody who ain't listening. Ever done that? You know why? Because two thoughts can't occupy their brain at the same time. The thought of what you're saying and the thought of what they're thinking, which is two different things. That's why when they respond, 
It's from what they've been thinking and has nothing to do with what you just said. So if I use the Scripture to quote Scripture, it will fight off those viral thoughts that come into my mind that aren't right. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart with all diligence, because out of it come every issue of life. Guarding my mind becomes critical. Okay? So, that's how you use the Scripture to fight off temptation. And that leads us into the next one, number four. If I use the Bible right, it's going to help me think properly. And that goes right along with what we just talked about. It helps me to think the way God wants me to think. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. The Bible says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. You know what that means? When I got saved, I only thought the way Bill's philosophy says to think. I've got to be transformed. I've got to renew the way my mind thinks. In other words, I've got to flush that hard drive and put some new information on it. And sometimes we have to really go through that process extensively several times in our life. We go through periods of our life where we're weak spiritually. We allow all kinds of things to get into our brain that we probably shouldn't have let get in there. And we have to kind of back up and just sort of clean the brain out and flush it out with just floods of Scripture and being around some of God's people and thinking about those things so that our mind comes back to center and we think the way God wants us to. Because as we think, that's how we're going to act. You know, I cannot accomplish one act if my brain doesn't tell my body to do it. i got to make sure my brain's telling my body to do the right things. So that's what this is all about. Let me give you a passage of Scripture. It's written in your notes. We don't have time to read it. But Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9, is very critical when it comes to the way we think. Here's what it says. Those who want to live by the philosophy of the flesh, so to speak, they fix their mind or they exercise their mind on things that have to do with that kind of philosophy, with the flesh. That's what they think about all the time. It's the kind of music they listen to all the time. It's the kind of places they go all the time. It's the kind of TV shows they watch all the time. Anything that goes through the eyes or the ears that feeds information into the brain. Romans 8 says, a person who lives by this philosophy of the flesh or struggles the most with it, is someone who constantly feeds their mind on that kind of stuff. Then the verse also says, a passage, but those that live according to the Spirit fix and feed and propagate their mind on things of the Spirit. Now, let me ask you just a practical question. Is there any way for you and I to go through a day of life without something that has to do with the wrong kind of way of living getting into our brain? Is there any way to live a day without some of that kind of seeping in? No, it's impossible. Because we live in a world that's filled with it. You can just be channel surfing and stuff pop into your brain because of all the garbage that's on TV. I mean, it's just hard to do it. So what we're saying here is that you, you don't totally eliminate everything before it works. What we're saying is, that the majority of what we feed our mind on comes from the Spirit of God, not from the world. Look at it like this. When you're training or bodybuilding, does your diet, what you eat, have anything to do with it? Sure. 
Absolutely it does. Just take a look at me. I can bodybuild all the time. I eat all the wrong stuff. That's why my stomach muscle grows faster than the other muscles. Okay? I, and by the way, I'm working on that. I'm not real good at it, but I'm trying to work on it. Okay. That's fried chicken with all the trimmings. <laughs> okay? I'm sinning today. I'm sorry. No, anyway. Okay? So the, the diet does have something to do with it. Here's the point. Can we totally cut out everything in our diet that is could possibly be bad for us? Think about it. <laughs> Unless that celery was grown at a farm where they used pesticides to get rid of the bugs. The truth is, no, we can't. We can't. Now, we, most of us, us could do a lot better with our diet than we do. But you can't totally eliminate it. Just like in feeding my mind, I can't totally eliminate bad things from getting in there. But what I can do is make sure that the majority of stuff that goes in there is the right stuff. So here's where you and I, when we use the Bible correctly, here's where it helps us to grow. If in my life there is a large majority of junk feeding the flesh going into my mind, I can slowly through the Scripture begin to weed that out. How? Eliminating a little bit at a time and adding more of this, the Bible into my life. Doesn't necessarily mean that I read chapters of the Bible every day. Maybe I read a little. I read a devotional book. I spend time discussing spiritual things with a Christian friend. I just exercise my mind around godly and spiritual things and about living like a Christian. When we get to the part about the church and how it helps us to grow, one of the things you're going to see is that the main reason we come to church is to encourage each other. That's the main reason we come. So being with other Christians helps feed this. Okay? So, um, we learn to think properly. Next, number five, we are protected from being led astray by the enemy. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, says that God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. Why? For the maturing of the saints, so that they can do the work of the ministry, so the body of Christ can grow. Why does all that need to happen? It's the very next verse that we are not tossed around and led astray by every philosophy and wind of doctrine that comes along. Do you know there's a young adult world today that is starving for an answer to how to live life? Because it's tough. The economy's tough. Morals are decaying every day. Marriages are falling apart. People are losing their jobs. And we want to find an answer, and we're looking for answers. And I promise you, Christianity is not the only group that's providing answers. There are all kinds of groups that will say, follow us, we'll give you an answer. Unfortunately, Satan has enlisted far more of those groups than Christianity has. There is one answer to life that works. Only one. It's God's answer the only one that works. That's why God only has one answer. Satan will give you a hundred different answers because he doesn't care which one you pick as long as it's not God's. God only has one. It's not easy, but it's very true and it's very clear and it's called the Bible. And when I live my life 
the way the Bible tells me to live my life, then it helps me not to be led astray by those other philosophies. And let me tell you this. How did all this start? Remember the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve met Satan. What did Satan do? He did two things. Number one, he discredited God's philosophy, and then he propagated his own philosophy. How did he do it? Yea, did God really tell you if you eat of this, you will die? He discredited God's philosophy. Then he promoted his own. He said, let me tell you what I think. I think that if you eat of that, God knows you will be like Him, knowing good and evil, and you will be like God. And that will be a wonderful thing for you. So why don't you follow my philosophy? Because it's going to be a really good thing. Who did they follow? We all know who they followed because we are still reaping the benefits of it. They listened to the devil's philosophy. They said, God's an old fogey. God doesn't want me to have any fun. If I live the way God wants me to live, my life will be boring. I'm going to live the way the world says to live because it's exciting. Drugs and alcohol and sex and money and Oh, man, and all this popularity and all these nice things. Man, look at all of that. Satan discredits God, promotes his own philosophy. we got thousands of people every day following him right down that road. The world's not getting more Christian. It's getting more devil. Why? Because more people are going his way. And you and I will go the same way if we don't use this book in our life the right way. Because one of the things this book does, it protects us from being led astray by that philosophy. And it's very powerful. I mean, the part I talked about was the obvious stuff. That's the stuff that's easy to see as wrong. There's all kinds of other things he does it's really hard to see right and wrong if you don't know what God says, okay? And then the last thing, it helps us make wise decisions. I want you to take your Bible real quick. We're going to close with this uh, so we can have our small groups. But turn to Philippians chapter 1. I want to show you a passage of Scripture that if, if nothing else, if you can just grab a hold of this principle, it will really help you in your life. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? Verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. You know what Paul says? I'm praying that your love will grow and that it will abound and manifest itself two ways. In knowledge and depth of insight. That literally means wisdom. Understanding of how to use that knowledge in your life. Proverbs is a whole book full of that stuff. He says, why? So that you will be able to discern. That you will be able to make decisions based upon what is best. Not what is immediately gratifying. 
Not what is the easiest solution. Not what is the most beneficial to me solution. But what is best. Perfect example of that in our world is getting married and finding a mate. And when you are at our place in life and maybe we get to be 32, 35, 38, not married, and all of a sudden this thought starts coming into my mind, I may never get married. What in the world am I going to do? Oh, no. What's going to happen to me if I never get married? And then all of a sudden, this great idea comes. The next one that comes along, I am latching on to that sucker and taking him on. Now, by the way, is that a wise thing to do? Probably not. However, I use that a little bit facetiously. That's a very easily understandable example. But you know, the truth is we're tempted to do that every day of our life in all kinds of other ways. To grab on to the immediate gratification rather than waiting for what's best. Rather than taking the time to make sure that the decision I'm about to make is what God says is best for me. Allowing God to open the doors instead of me kicking them open because it's where I want to go. And I can promise you, God says if we patiently wait for Him and allow Him to provide and direct us and we make decisions based upon that, life is wonderful and worth living. One of the things that... um, we talk about a lot, and it's a statement I say all the time. And uh, David Johan and I actually went to Atlanta this past weekend and uh, presented our ministry to some people there. And one of, we were talking, and one of the things he said that he always remembers is that the statement I made that says that if you marry the right person, a great marriage is the closest thing to heaven on earth you will ever know. But if you marry the wrong person, it's the closest thing to hell on earth you will ever experience. And that is a fact. So, if that's a fact, then it's well worth it to me to make sure that I get what is best, not what is quick and easy and immediate. Well, how do I know that? Because I take the Bible, I read it, I meditate on it, I memorize it, I measure everything by it, and then I apply it and obey it when it tells me what to do. And as I do that in every situation of my life, then I end up walking a path of God's blessing in my life. Because Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Father, thank you for your word. May it truly be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.